This is the New Song Church Podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Hey, welcome to Blocks. That was like a little obstacle course over there. Whew, surely the Lord is in this place, amen? 2024. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. Hey, Overflow, um, thank you for being here. I love that we had like 75 people sign up for Overflow, knowing like they couldn't be in here. Um, But that's like, just shows like the hunger in our church right now. I just want to be near what the Lord is doing. And I love that heart. God blesses those who are hungry. Um, And so kudos to you for signing up for being here. Um, be here tomorrow night, the next night. It's going to be awesome. I want to talk to you tonight about friendship with the Lord. Friendship with the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 2514. 2514. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray that there would be unction in this pulpit tonight. (sighs) Lord, make the preaching sharp to those who need sharpness. May it distill dew to those who need to be refreshed. May this message be a sweet exhalation of the Holy Spirit. May this word impregnate. May it fill. May it soften. May it cut. May it soothe. I pray that it would carry the word like dynamite, like salt, like sugar. Make the word tonight a soother, an arraigner, a revealer, a searcher. Make the hearer weep like a child and live like a giant. I ask that this word would carry with it a pungent, penetrating, heartbreaking force. I ask that the divine unction qualify my heart tonight and bring it to the condition of tenderness, of purity, of force and light. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Psalm 25, 14. You guys there? It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord. This word friendship is the Hebrew word. It's translated sod. It's an interesting word. It means intimate counsel and advice, intimate counsel or secret counsel. Some translation, if you have a King James version, your, your translation may read the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him instead of the friendship of the Lord. But I love what Alexander McLaren says. He says, whether we translate the first word secret or friendship, the sense is substantially the same. Like they mean the same thing. This friendship, this secret is for those who fear him. Those who are filled with reverence, awe, and wonder. He says obedience and the true fear of Jehovah directly tend to discernment of his purposes. How many of you could use some discernment in your life of the purposes of God's, or of God's purposes? He says, they, uh, obedience and true fear of Jehovah directly tend to discernment of his purposes and will be rewarded by whispers from heaven. Whispers from heaven. Another interesting thing to note about this word sod is that Bible scholars believe that it derived from a word primarily meaning couch, a couch. One commentator noting the Hebrew word primarily means couch and then the confidential talk of those sitting on the couch. The confidential talk of those sitting on the couch. We're talking about friendship with God, right? Think about the iconic 
opening of the show Friends. What are they all gathering on? They're gathering on a couch. When they're at Central Perk talking in the coffee shop, what are they gathered on? They're gathered on a couch. Friends gather on couches and they share the most intimate parts of their heart, their day. And I think it's safe to say that the reason why shows like Friends are so wildly popular is because the human soul longs for friendship. It's what we were created for. We long for Eden when we could walk with God in the cool of the day. The human soul longs for friendship. We love stories about friends. Monica and Rachel, Buzz and Woody, Timon and Pumbaa, Lilo and Stitch, Han Solo and Chewie, Rory and Lorelai, DJ and Kimmy. We love stories about friends. Now there's a lot wrapped up, you can see in this word, sod, friendship, intimacy. It's to our friends that we tell our secrets to. It's to our friends that we confide in. It's with our closest friends that we sit together on our couches and share in confidence with one another. Now, let's look at the text again with all of that in mind, with all of that wrapped up in this word, word friendship. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship, the sod of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Now, when you really stop and really think about this promise, it's earth shattering. It is earth shaking because this verse tells us that it is possible to have intimate friendship with the Lord, an intimate friendship with God, not like a long distance friendship, not like a Facebook friend where you're like, yeah, we're Facebook friends, but I've never even met the guy. Not a, 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 um, like a, a casual acquaintance, but an intimate friendship with God. We can be the kind of friends that he shares secrets with, whispers of heaven with, that he confides in, that he makes his promises known to through intimate couch conversing. Friendship with God is unique to Christianity. It's, to, it's unique to Christianity. It's unique to the God of the Bible. No other religions even try to offer friendship with their God. But tonight I want to show you that friendship with the God of the Bible is possible and how it's possible. And I'm borrowing some of the structure from one of my favorite messages by the late Tim Keller on friendship with God that I listen to every year several times a year. He says, friendship with God, that it is possible and how it is possible. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That friendship with God is possible. Isaiah 41.8 says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Abraham was a friend of God's. Exodus 33.11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was a friend of God. And then Jesus in John chapter 15, he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Now the Greek philosopher, Aristotle, he thought that friendship with God was absolutely ridiculous. Like this was a ludicrous concept. He basically said that if you thought that you could be friends with God, you were crazy, like crazy town. And the reason that he thought this is because he believed that humans do not have enough in common with God to be friends with God, which kind of makes sense because to be friends with someone, you need to have some things in common with them. C.S. Lewis said, friendship arises out of mere companionship 
when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight, they have in common some interest, or even taste, which the others in the group do not share. Till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship, or the typical way that a friendship begins, would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. I like to tease Josh um, that this is exactly how our friendship began. We have been married 20 years, and our friendship began like this. We both had a shared interest in something. We were both very interested in him. (laughs) He said to me implicitly, what? You too think that I am God's gift? You too think I'm God's gift to the earth? I thought I was the only one. And our friendship began. I have a friend named Paige. She lives in Bristol, Indiana. And our friendship began with what? You love Dallas Willard too? We bonded over that. We're both pastors. Um, I I was FaceTiming with her the other day. And of all of the books in the world, and of all of the books on each of our bookshelves, we both have offices filled with books. We both had the exact same Andrew Murray book on our desk. And it was just a special moment of like, ah, you too. We have so much in common. Friendship sparks when we have that you too moment. You like football too? You play Clash of Clans too? Let's go, let's go. You watch the bear too? You had this experience growing up in your family too? You're struggling with infertility too? You like you too? You listen to you too too? You too. This is the beginning of friendship. Aristotle's point was that no one could ever be friends with God because nobody could possibly look at God and say, oh, you too? Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. It's kind of like in the movie, What About Bob? Which is one of my favorites of all time. Um, when, uh, when Bob Wiley, played by Bill Murray, he's talking about his psychiatrist, Dr. Leo Marvin, that he is obsessed with. He's, he's talking about Dr. Leo Marvin, and he says, we can't be expected to understand him. He is so far above us. He is like ropes on the Goodyear blimp, or we are like ropes on the Goodyear blimp. Aristotle saying, we're like ropes. God's a Goodyear blimp. There's no way that we can be friends. Keller said that Aristotle was a smart guy but he got this one wrong. Biblical theology tells us that we can be friends with God. We can look to the doctrine of God, that we have a triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, a friendship, a relationship that has been from all eternity. God is love, God is a friendship. God is relationship. We can look to the doctrine of creation. We started to get into this a little bit today. We are created in the image of God. God um, is a friendship, in the image of a God who is a friendship. But what I really want to look at tonight or draw your attention to tonight is the history of redemption, the history of redemption, which has been called one gigantic cosmic act of friendship. 
one gigantic cosmic act of friendship. The most important moment in the history of redemption is when God became a human. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, never gets old, never gets old. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was made like us in every way except sin. God knows what it is like to be human. Hebrews 2 says, We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself has gone through suffering. Since he himself has gone through temptations, testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. What does this have to do with friendship? What does the incarnation have to do with friendship? Everything, everything. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. No other God in any major religion could lay down his life for his friends because no other God had a mortal body to lay down. No other God went through the first act of friendship, which is the incarnation. Jesus not counting equality with God as something to cling to, to grasp to, but instead taking on the form of a vulnerable, mortal, killable human. Jesus stooped and he stooped and he stooped some more, identifying with us through his birth and his life and in his death. It's the passion of the Christ where we can really see that Jesus did become like us in every way. We see him agonizing in the garden, sweating human blood, crying human tears. We see his closest friends abandon him in his hour of need. We see him concerned for his mother. We see him exposed. We see him humiliated. We see him crying, crying out to the father, feeling forsaken by his father. When we see what he endured to become like us in every respect, we can look at God and say, you too, you too have been betrayed. You too have felt far alienated from the father. You too have been crushed, crushed by the weight of sorrow and suffering. You too have been rejected. You too have been humiliated. You too have been tempted in this way and tempted in that way. You too have been misunderstood. Every aspect of biblical theology shows us that it is possible to be a friend of God's. The doctrine of God, the doctrine of creation, and the history of redemption. Isn't this incredible? It's incredible that the God, God who was before all things, God who holds all things together, God who is the beginning, the firstborn, son from the dead, the one who is preeminent, the preeminent one wants to sit with you on the couch in intimate 
conversation, sharing the whispers of heaven, sharing his promises with you. This is absolutely incredible, and it is absolutely possible. Now, just because we believe that something is possible doesn't mean that we're always living into the reality of what's possible. So I want to talk tonight about how we can live into this incredibly possible, intimate friendship with God. I've got two points for you. How is it possible to be a friend of God? Number one is obey him. Obey him. Yes, we are made in God's image. And yes, he became like us in every way except for sin. But we need to understand that he is not just like us and that we are not just like him. For instance, we will never become divine and we are never to be worshiped. Jesus is our friend, yet we need to understand he's not just like one of the guys. He's not just like one of our buddies. Jesus is our brother, but he's not just one of our bros. There's only one found holy. There's only one found worthy. And a thriving, intimate relationship with the one who is found holy and worthy, it requires obedience. Jesus said in John 15, 14 through 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Or in other words, the servant doesn't get to sit on the couch and converse and know the plans of God. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. David Guzik says, friendship with Jesus can't be disconnected from obedience to his commands. Now, maybe you're thinking obedience. Obedience? That seems like a really weird prerequisite for friendship, but actually it makes perfect sense when we're talking about friendship with God. We've already talked about how Jesus came a really, 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 really long way so that he could identify with us, right? From a throne of endless glory to a feeding trough where animals slobbered a feeding trough to a manger in a dirt, from from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. He has done his part in becoming like us. And now it's our turn to spend our days beholding him and obeying him so we can become like him. When we obey Jesus, when we obey what he has commanded us to do, we become more like him and our friendship is strengthened. Remember that concept of you too? You too? Okay, as you behold Jesus, as you obey what he has commanded you to do, such as love those who hate you and bless those who curse you. When you obey those commands, you become more like him. And as God searches the earth for those whose hearts are fully committed to him and he sees you, he sees you loving those who hate you and blessing those who curse you, you know what he says? He stops, his eyes stop on you and they say, he says, you too, you too. Second Chronicles 16, nine, I love this verse. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Not partially, not like one foot in and one foot out, like hokey pokey, but fully, fully committed to him. He searches the earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to his word. He exalts his word above his name. Those who are fully committed to his word, his will, his commandments. Obedience 
to God's commands, it strengthens our friendship. He looks to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, we don't obey his commandments to earn our salvation. Thank God. Because we're not going to be perfect in this. We don't have to be perfect because he is perfect. He was perfect. We are saved by grace through faith in the one who perfectly fulfilled the law. Dotted every I, crossed every T, left no stone unturned. We obey his commandments not to earn our salvations, but we obey and delight his commandments because we see that his commands are insights. Insights into the ways that we can please our friend. Insights into ways that we can be like our friend. We can be with our friend. We love because he first loved us. This isn't about doing because we've been done for. This is about loving because we have been loved. The Holy Spirit put it to me like this this week. We don't go to the law. We don't go to his commands to earn, but we look to his commands. We look to his law to learn. We don't go to earn, but we go to learn. To learn what? To learn his heart. To learn his way. To learn what pleases the man who laid down his life for his friends. I want to please you. Jesus asked for obedience because he wants a friend for himself that is like him. When we obey him, we become like him. It's called holiness. It's called holiness. He is holy and set apart. And he wants a people who are holy and set apart. Not to mention... You are his friends, right? And he doesn't want his friends to build their house on the sand. He cares about you. He doesn't want a great storm to come and great destruction to follow because you've built your life on sand. So he says, hear my words, act on my words, obey my words so that my friends, so that you can have a firm foundation. He loves you. We can't have friendship with God without obedience to God. Elizabeth Elliot tells a story about her little brother. Um, He had left a mess of toys behind, and his mama told him to pick up those toys before he starts his piano lesson, but he didn't. He just went ahead, started his piano lesson, and when his mom came in and she sees the toys on the floor, she's like, hey, stop playing the piano and go do what I I asked you to do earlier. And he said to her, but mama, I'm playing hymns and I'm singing praises to Jesus. And she said to him, there is no use in praising Jesus if you are in disobedience. There's no use singing praises if you're in disobedience. Now, I think sometimes we come to a church service and we want to sing some songs and we want to feel close to God for a little bit. We want to be chummy with God. We want to be friendly with God while forgetting about the mess and the things that he's commanded us to do. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to deal with that gossip thing that we just keep finding ourselves falling back into. We we don't want to confess sin, even though he commands us to confess our sin to our brother. We don't want to be generous. We don't want to live our life in the key of generosity. That bothers us, even though he's commanded us to live our lives in the key of generosity. We don't want to obey. We want to sing, and we want to feel good, and we want to say, I don't want to pick up my toys. Can't you see I'm praising Jesus? Can't you see I'm here? I'm praising Jesus. Now, I won't go as far as to say there's no use praising Jesus when you're in disobedience because I know for me, I've been praising Jesus and that is when the Lord highlights disobedience in my heart. So I'm not going to go that far. That's not the point. The point is that we cannot pretend like obedience is not important to Jesus. He makes obedience a prerequisite for friendship with him. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. C.S. Lewis again says, God shows much more of himself to some people than to others. Not because he has favorites, but because it is impossible for him to show himself to a man whose whole mind and character are in the wrong condition. Just as sunlight, 
though it has no favorites. The sun doesn't have favorites. Though a sunlight cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as it can in a clean one. Obedience, holiness, it keeps our heart and it keeps our mind in the right condition. Obedience opens our eyes to see him, to behold him more clearly, to see him more rightly, and thus reflect him more accurately, to fill the earth with his image. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. And if we want to behold him clearly, we've got to pay attention to his command to obey. I want you to take a moment here tonight, church, before we just zoom to the next point. Can we just take a moment? Can we just take like 30 to 45-ish seconds and just be still before the Lord? Can you give him consent to search your heart? Give him consent to search your heart, to show you if there's some things where you have disregarded his commands. Maybe it's not like you're just in um, outright like rebellion, but maybe there's some things that he's asked you to do, some sins of omission, sins of commission. Just give him consent to search your heart. And if he brings an area to mind right there in your heart between you and the Lord, the Lord is in the secret place. He is in secret. The Father is in secret. Right there between you and him, you can repent. So just take a moment. I'm going to stop talking so you can really give the Lord consent to search your heart and show you any areas of disobedience. thank you, Lord, that you want to show us these things because you want to have a greater level of friendship with us. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage you, if the Lord revealed something to you and you did have a moment of repentance, take some time to repent um, or to confess. I mean, to someone this week, maybe it's your spouse on the way home, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's somebody in your small group, take a moment to confess The word says that when we confess our sins one to another, we'll be healed. Just let them know, hey, I've been in this area of disobedience and I'm I'm bringing it to you because I understand that friendship with Jesus can't be disconnected from obedience to his commands and I want to be a friend of God. So I'm bringing this to you. Amen? Amen. Okay, so how can we live into this incredibly possible, intimate relationship with Jesus? Number one, obey him. And number two, behold him. Behold him. I talk a lot about beholding I think I've talked about it every year at Blocks. Um, I laid out three invitations for the church last week that I felt like this is what the Spirit is saying to this house. We are to come and break. We are to come and burn. And we are to come and behold. We know that beholding is more than a casual look. It's more than just a glance. It is to make a careful study of something or someone. It is to intently gaze upon someone. 2 Corinthians 3.18 It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. There's that word image again. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And then Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the 
image, there it is again, image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, our destiny is to become like Jesus. Not to act like Jesus. Not to behave like Jesus. But to become like Jesus. And beholding is tied to becoming. It's tied to becoming. I like to read biographies. Um, and I've noticed that a lot of them, especially Christian biographies, they have that word becoming in the title. Becoming Elizabeth Elliot or becoming Dallas Willard. Now, if you're reading a book like this, or, or you're going to be hard-pressed to find a biography about, say, Elizabeth Elliot called Acting Like Elizabeth Elliot or Behaving Like Elizabeth Elliot because a biography is not about people who are acting like or behaving like someone. A biography is a story about the actual person and the journey that they've been on to become the person that they've become. Now, if somebody were were writing a biography of your life, um, I'm hoping that as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice of Jesus, somebody who has decided to practice the way of Jesus, that the title, at least the subtitle, Becoming the Image of Jesus, would hopefully be suggested as the publishers read through the content of your story. Sarah Blunt, becoming the image of Jesus. David Terry, becoming the image of Jesus. Pastor Josh, becoming the image of Jesus. Are you becoming like Jesus? Our destiny is to become like him, not to just behave like him, not to just act like him, but to become like him, to be transformed from the inside out into the image of Jesus. Now, I say this because it is very possible to act like Jesus and to behave like Jesus on the outside without really transforming and becoming like him on the inside. Jesus said, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish and the outside will also be clean. What happens is when somebody is acting like Jesus, when they are trying, 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 trying to externally behave like Jesus, for example, like not cussing out their coworker, that makes them really mad one day at work. They don't do that externally nailing it. They didn't make a fuss. They didn't, they didn't scream. They didn't cuss, but all the way home, all the way home, they're cursing that person up and down in their heart. Thankful that they have self-control and didn't cuss everybody because that person out for everybody to see and hear but if there's still anger and there's still rage in their heart that they aren't willing to bring to Jesus and say will you show me how to love this person will you help me why am I so angry why does this make me so mad Lord help me with my patience that person is acting like Jesus instead of becoming like Jesus if they're not willing to deal with what's going on internally and I've seen this happen a lot people grow tired They grow tired from acting like Jesus, from behaving like Jesus, from modifying their behavior. And you know what happens? They give up the act because it's just too exhausting to try to be someone that you're not. You got to try to keep the outside of the cup looking clean when the inside is filled with greed and self-indulgence. That'll wear you out. That will exhaust you. Maybe you've witnessed this all too common and heartbreaking scenario of somebody who has been acting externally like a great godly spouse. They go to church, they show up, they serve, they post about their spouse on their anniversaries, they go to great places together. Outside, externally, everything looks great. But internally, 
They have unconfessed, unconquered, unchecked lust and covetousness. They may have been trying to act like Jesus for years, but they have not taken the time to really behold Jesus and be transformed into the image of Jesus. They haven't taken the time to behold him so they can become like him. And then one day, you know what happens? The act is up. And the inside of the cup is exposed and the affair is found out. It's too hard. It's too hard to live like a friend of God when we're really a friend of the world. It's too hard to be a friend of God when we're, when we're, when we, we're a mold of the world, when we're patterned more after the world than we are patterned after Jesus. Yes. Jesus said his burden is light. He said his yoke is easy, but you got to take up his yoke and come out from under the yoke of the world. The good news is that Jesus, following Jesus, following Jesus is not about acting and behaving. Following Jesus is about beholding and transforming. It's not about acting and behaving. It's about beholding and transforming. J.B. Phillips' version of Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, With eyes wide open, beholding, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you. Paul says, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated, obeying him, being set apart, holiness, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves toward the goal of true humility within your father who sees in secret, your father who is in secret. The secret place must be stronger than the public place. We've been reading the Sermon on the Mount the last couple days in the Being Transformed Journal. You know what the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is? It's that God is not looking for great performers. He is not looking for great play actors who can play to the audience, who can play to those in view. He is looking for people who will behold him and be transformed from the inside out. We are new creations in Christ, yes? Yeah. We're new creations in Christ, yet Paul still begs us to remold our minds from within. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It's a process right. into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Friends of God are committed to beholding God so they can become more and more like God. Remember that concept? You too? You too? The more we behold Jesus, the more we become like Jesus and the stronger our intimate couch conversing relationship with him becomes. Friends of Jesus, behold Jesus. Why is beholding so important to our transformation? Why not something else? Why is beholding so important? Samuel Whitefield says this so simply, so beautifully. He says, beholding beauty produces fascination. Beholding beauty produces fascination, and fascination is the best way to transform a person. Let me prove it to you. Okay, think about a young guy that falls in love. He's falling in love. His parents have been trying to get him to do things like clean his room and brush his teeth and put down the toilet seat for years to no avail. It's been like pulling teeth. But when the young man beholds a beauty and becomes fascinated by her, comes captured by her, suddenly everything changes. Yeah. Suddenly everything changes. He can now, um, he now embraces, embraces things like hygiene and cleanliness 
in a moment, he makes a change. He makes a change that his parents have been trying to get him to make for years. He has beheld her beauty. He has become fascinated by her. And that fascination has led to his transformation. Fascination also produces imitation. When I became fascinated with Josh Blunt, when I was 16 years old, I became interested in things that I was not interested in before. I traded in my Dixie Chicks and Shadezy CDs for Radiohead and Coldplay and U2. Um, fascination with Josh led me to imitating him. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to share in more of those U2 moments. Um, it changed my appetites, like literally changed my appetites. I went from uh, quarter pounders with cheese and orange high C from McDonald's to spicy tuna rolls. And I remember, like, you like sushi? I don't, it's always sounded really gross, and I, I've always been like, I'm never going to do that. But if you like sushi, then I want to like sushi. <laughs> I want to enjoy what you enjoy. It changed my appetites. I wanted to have more of those you too moments. Our fascination with each other led us to willingly and gladly cut off all romantic prospects. As soon as Josh showed interest in me, I broke up with my eighth grade boyfriend. I was like, see ya. <laughs> we only had eyes for each other. We were living that Flamingo song in real life. You know that song? I Only Have Eyes for You by the Flamingos. Oh, it's a good song. Josh put that on a mix CD and dropped it in my mailbox. <laughs> It says, my love must be a kind of blind love. I can't see anyone but you. Shabbat, Shabbat. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright. I only have eyes for you. Shabbat, Shabbat. Maybe millions of people go by, but they all disappear from view because I only have eyes for you. This beholding led to fascination. It ultimately led to marriage. I did not have to willingly, like, or I did not have to like force him down the aisle. He did not have to force me down the aisle to make a covenant before God that we would love each other forever till death do us part. Fascination led to a willing and a lasting sacrifice. Beholding beauty produces fascination and fascination is the best way to transform a person. This is the way that the human heart is wired. Okay, think about a young girl. A young girl, she beholds a famous pop star like Taylor Swift. And she becomes fascinated by her. And nobody has to beg that young girl to memorize every lyric to all of Taylor's songs. Nobody has to say, hey, you should hang some posters of Taylor in your room. She just does it so she can behold her more. Nobody has to say, hey, you should start following her on social media. No, she's beholding her. She's gazing upon her intently. That was all it took. Now she's a fan. And now she gladly spends her time beholding her more and more. Now she begins to try to imitate her. She finds out that Taylor's favorite color is lavender haze. And guess what her new favorite color is? Lavender haze, whatever that is. She studies her. She watches movies about her. She spends hours on Pinterest creating boards about her. She cheerfully gives up money to go and see her in concert. She proudly identifies herself as a Swifty. She will loyally defend Taylor's honor if somebody says, I don't even, what's a, she's not even that good. Like, what's the big deal about Taylor? She will defend her honor. How did this all start? Beholding. Beholding produced a fascination, and that fascination transformed that girl into a full-blown Swifty. This is the way that the human heart is made. Samuel Whitefield says, 
This is the model for biblical discipleship. We see someone who is beautiful. We become fascinated by him. And then we joyfully and gladly reorient our lives to behold more of that person. And we desire to be a part of his people. If you ever forget how discipleship works, just look around at all the kind of different discipleships that are out there. From Swifties to Trekkies to Cheeseheads to Deadheads. This is discipleship. I think the church has done a fairly good job, the Big C Church, in communicating that obeying Jesus is a pretty big deal. Like we need to obey Jesus. But hear me, when we ask people to act like Jesus, to behave like Jesus, to obey Jesus, when they are not captured by the beauty of Jesus, they will become something. They will become religious in their habits instead of becoming like Jesus, which is a form of hypocrisy. Friendship with Jesus is not about being religious in your habits. It is about becoming like Jesus, the one who became like us. We become what we behold, which is why every time we gather together in this room, we're trying to create space and create moments where we can corporately behold the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We want you to behold him. We want you to become fascinated with him so that you can become like him. I think the church is full of people who genuinely are thankful for Jesus, who are generally, genuinely appreciative of what he has done for them in their lives. But appreciation doesn't lead to transformation. That's right. I think we all appreciate the people who work at Waste Management, their city of Edmond, and they take away our garbage every week from our curbs. And we're truly grateful, right, that we don't have to deal with the garbage piling up all around us. We're appreciative of them, but not fascinated by them. Is this the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus? Appreciative that you took out the trash in my life. Appreciative that you helped me to manage the waste in my life. That's good. We need to be thankful. We need to be appreciative. That's how we enter his gates with thanksgiving, right? But it can't stop there. We must behold him, become fascinated by him so we can become Uh, more like him. A.W. Tozer said, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God, to an everlasting preoccupation with God, not for 21 days, not at the beginning of the year. We get all hype and we get preoccupied with God. It's an everlasting preoccupation with God that can start today for you and go into all of eternity, an everlasting preoccupation with God. So the question that begs to be asked is how do we behold Jesus? How do we do it? Maybe we just like watch The Chosen, like binge it on Netflix, watch it over and over again. And hopefully that we hopefully we go as crazy for Jesus as 11 year olds go for Taylor Swift. Or do we just like send our pastors and our worship leaders off to go and gaze at the Lord and become fascinated with with him and hope that some of that rubs off rubs off on us. Or maybe we wait for him to show up like in a dramatic way. Like maybe we just need to really press in and hope that tomorrow at blocks, night two, when Corey Russell's here, there's going to be a vision from heaven that comes down. And oh, not night two. I mean, I don't know when he's going to be here. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) Okay. Maybe, maybe you're waiting, maybe you're waiting for that, for like a vision from heaven, a vision from heaven where you behold the Lord and then you're just in forever, right? Maybe you're waiting for a moment like that. You could wait for that to happen 
Or you could just plan on beholding God in your everyday normal routines, your normal routines, your normal rhythms. When I became fascinated by God in 2020, there wasn't a worship band around. And that's good news because the worship band can't come with me tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. There wasn't any bright lights involved. I became fascinated with God through daily spiritual disciplines, through daily spiritual practices. And I know that it seems too simple. You're like, no, it can't be. It can't be that simple. We're expecting beholding God to involve way more than just deciding to get up an hour early, make a cup of coffee, go sit in silence before him and be present to him, open up the scriptures, read the word, behold him in the word, and then go through the rest of our day with him at the front of our heart, the forefront of our heart, setting him before us over and over and over again, practicing the presence of Jesus. It can't be that simple, right? It has to be more complicated. Often we want to overcomplicate and over-spiritualize beholding Jesus. But when we practice what we see Jesus practicing in the scriptures, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like going away to the secret place to be with our Father, things like solitude, things like fellowship, celebration, things like singing praises to our God. When we do the things that we see Jesus doing in Scripture, when we do the spiritual disciplines, we position ourselves to behold Him. Why we think that the God who intentionally chose to spend most of His time in a small village living a very ordinary life can only reveal Himself to us in dramatic ways? I'm not sure. I'm not sure why we think that. We want it to be spectacular. We want a burning bush moment, but usually we behold God in the ordinary. Whitefield again says, we devalue the ordinary when in fact God uses the ordinary and mundane as the primary context for our formation. This has been my experience. Daily rhythms, rule of life. This is how I started to behold God and become fascinated with him. And this is how I continue to behold him and be fascinated with him. When my spiritual disciplines or practices that revolves around beholding Jesus, this is all about you, Jesus. Everything I'm doing is because I want to behold more of you, Jesus. When my disciplines and practices that revolved around beholding Jesus became my routine, guess what else became routine? Beholding Jesus. Not in a bad way. I think sometimes that word routine like really throws us, but in a really transforming way. Routinely beholding Jesus will lead to becoming more like him. We can behold him when we read our Bible. Tomorrow, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 8, and there's six stories, six stories of the life of Jesus. You know, you can behold him as you get out the word and you look at those stories. You can do gospel meditation where you sit down, you pick one of those six, and you're like, okay, I'm going to use my imagination to enter into this story. I'm going to have a shared experience with Jesus. Not so much an exercise of the intellect, but an exercise of the imagination. Like allow yourself to really let this story unfold in your imagination. Read it over and over and over again. And then close your eyes and then see it play out. And keep your eyes on Jesus the whole time. What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus saying in this story? Be present to Jesus. Be present to what you're feeling as you watch Jesus in this story. I was doing this the other day with the story of Jesus. When he goes in and sees Jairus, his little 12-year-old daughter, his lifeless daughter. When he gets to the part where he takes her by the hand... I beheld Jesus in a way that I hadn't beheld Jesus before. His compassion, his tenderness, the hands that would have nails put in them. I saw those hands before they had nails put in them, taking the hand of that little girl. His compassion, his tenderness, his mercy. What I want you to see is that 
you can behold him in unforgettable ways like that, but it has to be part of your routine. If I don't show up that day and read the scriptures that day, then I don't behold him in that way that day. When spiritual practices become our routine, the ones that revolve around beholding Jesus, beholding Jesus becomes routine. And I can't think of a better routine. I really can't. We have to become beholders of Jesus by deciding, deciding. It's a decision. You got to make a decision. It's not just going to happen. You got to decide. Like Paul said, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. He made a decision. We become beholders of Jesus by deciding that we're going to become students of the beauty of Jesus. But I'm sure you've already discovered that the fallen heart does not naturally find Jesus beautiful. The, the fallen heart is attracted to airbrushed perfection, six-pack abs, shiny, happy people. That's what the human heart, the fallen heart is attracted to. Isaiah 53, 2 says that Jesus had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was not an impressive looking human, but he was beautiful. He was beautiful because he took on the form of a human. He was beautiful because the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. The human heart craves beauty. We crave beauty, but our definition of beauty, our standard of beauty has been so distorted. Celebrities and athletes and the rich and the famous and the successful are more captivating to us than the lamb, beaten and bruised. The lamb killed for our sins, the lamb, the sacrifice raised from the dead, breathing again, our Jewish king seated in majesty. This is who we are to behold. This is who we are to become like. But sadly, it's an image that most humans do not find beautiful. Do you? If we want to redeem and restore the true meaning of beauty, we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and let the things of the earth grow strangely dim. Christ crucified is beautiful. Christ crucified is beautiful. Derek Kidner in his Bible commentary, defines friendship as candor and constancy. Those aren't words that we use very often in our everyday conversation. Candor means vulnerability. It means openness and transparency, not holding anything back. And constancy means commitment. It means I'm sticking with you. So he describes friendship as a true friend always lets you in and never lets you down. There is a friend like that. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who always has time for you. A friend who lets you all the way in but will never let you down. Behold, Jesus on the cross. Christ and Christ crucified. I don't know much about boxing. Surprising, I know. But I do know that you should never have your hands out like this. Right? Boxing 101, you put your hands out in front of you like this to protect yourself. Behold Jesus on the cross. Jesus not only has his hands out like this, but his hands are nailed in that position. As all of hell is coming down on him. He's not up here trying to protect himself. He's out here. How much more vulnerable could you be? How much more transparent could you be? He let you all the way in. He let you all the way in. And he'll never let you down. Candor and constancy. 
Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus Christ looked down from the cross and saw the people denying him, betraying him, forsaking him, mocking him, and rejecting him, and in the greatest act of friendship in the history of the world, he stayed. He just stayed. This is beauty, church. This is who we need to become fascinated with. Friendship with God is possible because Jesus became like us. Don't you want to behold him so that you can become more like him? We're going to close tonight with communion instead of altar ministry. I'm going to invite the the band to come up at this time. And I want you to stay in an attitude of worship. Go ahead and get out those communion elements. Don't check out. If you don't have to leave, don't leave. I know that... that, um, that we've got school tomorrow and things like that, but the Lord is not done. The Spirit's not done. There's more. And so I just want to encourage you to to wait. Let's wait on the Lord. Let's not be in a hurry. We're not in a hurry. This is Jesus. Communion is such a powerful you too moment. In communion, we remember that Jesus became like us. We hold the bread. We hold his body. The body that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in. Scripture tells us that we were once alienated. No way we were sitting on a couch conversing with God. We were hostile minded, doing evil deeds. Not a lot in common with our holy God. In fact, scripture says we were enemies of God, but Jesus. Scripture says he has now reconciled us in his flesh, in his flesh, in his body of flesh, by his death. By his death in order to what? Why did he do this? It says in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God. We can look at the cross and say, you too. And because of the bread and because of the body, he can look at us now and say, you too. Thank you, Jesus. As we take of his body, as we drink of his blood, this is a shared experience with the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I want you to just really hold the elements in your hand for a moment. Really hold them, really think about them, really feel them. Think about how God has invited you into this incredibly possible yet intimate friendship with him. Thank you, Lord. He made a way. His body, his blood, he became like you so we could become like him would go ahead and take the bread. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that you took on a human form so you could become like us, the greatest act of friendship the world has ever known. If you would take the cup. We thank you for your blood could have only been your blood. Thank you, Jesus. If you would go ahead and stand to your feet tonight. And we're going to take a moment. We're not going to have altar ministry tonight, but I believe that every seat in the room can be an altar.
And uh, we're going to take a moment and just practice what we have learned. We're going to take a moment to just behold Jesus together. And I really want, as we sing this song, as we sing this one last song tonight, I want you to make this your prayer tonight. I want you to sing it straight to the heart of Father God. I want you to sing it to Jesus as if he was standing right in front of you. Would you sing these words right to him? I want you to see this as corporate altar ministry. All of us together, we're gonna, we're gonna sing the verses are like a prayer and then we move into this part where it's declarative and we're saying, come and behold him. Sing that to your soul. Sing that to your faraway kids from God. Sing that to your family. Sing that to the region. Sing that to our state, our nation, the world. Come and behold him. So let's make it our prayer and then let's make it a declaration. Father, we love you and we want to behold you so we can become like you. Thank you for the gift of friendship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.